Welcome to the New York Mandate podcast, where we take a look at the costs and consequences of New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I'm Amy, and in this series, I'll be talking with people who have been directly affected by mandates about their perspectives and experiences. This episode is a little bit different from the others because it begins with an update from Dane Bath. After that, you'll hear the longer conversation that we had. I am back on with um, Dane Bath. We, I, I usually ask people to come back and give me an update after we talk down the line. We are back right away for an update, um, even before I have posted our initial conversation. And, but there's a, a reason for this, why I thought it was really important to add this um, to the podcast. Um, we spoke shortly before 9-11 in this year, 2022. Um, you were a 9-11 first responder. Correct. And on 9-11 this year, <laughs> um, you went to a pharmacy, explain what happened. Um, I went to the pharmacy to go pick up my normal asthma COPD medication that I normally take. And I was pretty much told that, um, well, I know I didn't have insurance because I was terminated from the job, but I figured I still had my 9-11 from World Trade Center, um, you know, from my World Trade Center. And when I went to the pharmacy, they tried to run it through the World Trade Center and they said that I wasn't a member anymore. And I was like, well, that's impossible because you filled all my other prescriptions from my 9-11 fund. And that's, I, I've, I've tried calling to find out why I don't have it and they didn't have an answer. So I want, you know, it cost me a couple hundred dollars, but I need that medication for my asthma and everything. So, but it, it was strange that I went to go pick up medication for a program that I've been in, and they said I'm a non-member all of a sudden. Okay, so 9-11 was Sunday this year. Um, that's when you went to the pharmacy. Correct. You called the program on Monday, right, to find Correct. out what was going on? And what happened when you called the program? I left a message. I didn't get in touch with anyone. Um, still waiting for a callback. Heard anything yet? Still trying to find out what's going on with my 9/11 medication um, program, but still haven't heard anything back from them. Okay, so it's now Wednesday, and you haven't heard back from them. In the interim, um, I looked into this a little bit, and what I was able to find out, um, you're you're talking about the uh, World Trade Center Health Program, which is run by the CDC, right? Correct. I, I mean, I go, I'm, I'm in it through the fire department. Well, I used to go to the fire department and then um, I know retirees and everyone go to the WC program down at nine Metro Tech at the headquarters. Um, but I guess it's run through CDC or whatever government who's ever funding it or whatever they're doing for it. You, you qualified for the program um, by having medical exams where they determined that you had illnesses that were caused by your service correct um, at ground zero correct and you go for an annual exam related to that and they track your your health well they call actually what's what's strange the way it happened is because they call me this year for my annual for my world trade center medical 
And I said, do I go down to the Metrotech building or where do I go? Because I don't have I don't have an ID because I was terminated. So trying to get in, usually if you're retired or something that like you have a retired ID. So when I talked to the person saying that, oh, well, I got terminated for the job for the vaccine. They were trying to schedule it, but they didn't know what to do. And then I go pick up my medication and then I'm not a member anymore. Okay, so this this program, um, it's supposed to cover your any medication or treatment that you need related to a condition that was caused by your service at Ground Zero. Correct. And so what I was able to find out um, since you told me this is that this program requires that you have uh, primary insurance. You have to have medical insurance. It's a supplemental program. So we're guessing that maybe that's the reason they're now rejecting your information at the pharmacy. Um, but you haven't gotten a call back, so that hasn't been confirmed by the program. But that may be the reason. Um, now, <laughs> you don't have the primary insurance because you were terminated in June under uh, the New York City vaccine mandate policy. Right. This has caused you extreme financial hardship, and you're not able to afford primary insurance right now, right? Correct. I mean, I don't know how it's a supplemental program. What do people do that don't have insurance? I mean, they're just left out and left behind. I mean, that makes it wasn't it wasn't when we were down there, you expect us to go above and beyond, which a lot of us did, and a lot of us paid the ultimate sacrifice. But now saying that because we don't have primary insurance that we can't get the coverage we need for the ailments we have is ridiculous. Were you, um, we didn't really talk in any detail about what you did at Ground Zero. Were you there on 9-11 or were you there during the aftermath? What, what was the time period when you were there? I was actually there on 9-11. Um, my mother actually worked across the street in 90 Church Street um, at Legal Aid in the it used to the federal building was the post office. She worked upstairs um, for legal aid on that day. And um, I just got off and then everything happened. And I rushed down there. Luckily, there she had a problem with her car. She didn't make it in. But at that time, I didn't know. So, so that's I was down there that whole time. So you were you were down there. Were you working on the day of 9-11 or did you just go down because of your mother? No, I went down. I was actually off. I got off that morning and then, okay. you know, everything happened and we all went down there. Okay. So you, you had worked a night shift or something. Is that what it was? Right. Yeah. Okay. So you worked a night shift. Your mother was down there. So you went down there when you got off. And then when did you go back as an EMT? As an EMT? Oh, for what? For a cleanup? It, wh whatever you were doing there, we didn't really talk about what your role oh, was. Yeah, we did. Um, we did restroom recovery down there, but um, you know, it's only it was pretty much more recovery than rescue down there. There wasn't much much left. Right. So you you went in. You were working for FDNY. You went in as part of the recovery crew. Right. 
that's the right way to put it, um, after the event. And how about how long did you spend? Uh, how, how long did you work down there? A couple months. A couple months. Um, I just want to say, <laughs> you know, we were talking before about how for some younger people, people who didn't live in New York at the time, they might be a little fuzzy on the history here. So I just want to give a little refresher. This was um, the, the scale and the horror of this event, I think, are unmatched by any you know single event that we we have seen and you were there in person at ground zero um almost three thousand people died that day um i believe there were about 2700 people in in new york and there were some other people in uh dc and in in the plains um this was uh, death and destruction on an unimaginable scale. And people like you, while everyone ran from it, people like you were down there doing, you know, initially trying to pull people out, trying to rescue people, and then recovering people who had died. Correct. From this... The buildings were at the time the largest, the tallest skyscrapers in the world. These were massive buildings, um, combined with plane crashes. <laughs> um, it, this was just an incredible disaster site, and you were there doing doing recovery for two months in this catas in this hellish landscape. Yeah, it was just, it's, I mean, there's no words to actually put anything into it. It's like, I, it was like a nightmare almost. But we had to do what we, we could to try and save who we could at that time. What kind of protective gear did you have? In the beginning, we didn't really have any protective gear because no one knew. Um... Then eventually we got the masks, the respirators to work down there. Um, but, you know, you're talking about, what, 110-story buildings with, you know, old mercury thermometers, probably asbestos in the buildings because they were so old, God knows what other chemicals, and then just having everything being pounded down to dust pretty much, especially with the glass and all those shards going into your system, it, it, it took a major toll on people. When did you first uh, start having health problems as a result of that? Um, I was good for a while. I started having health problems probably about 10 years later, 2012, 2013. Right. And so it's respiratory problems, asthma, yeah. asthma and COPD. Okay. Yeah. You were also in the Marines, I want to point out. Um, we, we talked about that a little bit. Where, where did you serve? Um, I was in North Carolina. I was overseas in a couple spots. I was over in Iraq, um, Japan. 
couple spots. <laughs> right. Were you, were you doing combat service? Yes. Okay. And you worked as an EMT for over 20 years for the city of New York for FDNY. What what do you think like do you ever think about like how many people's lives you contributed to saving over that period? Um I didn't really put like to think about oh I that I contributed saving is it was I went into the profession more or less when my father got sick and he finally passed away um to help other people. So I mean sometimes you do what you can and you save the people. Sometimes you do your best to do what you can. And you can't. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you put, if you, you know, you, you treat everyone like they're your family. Because once you get out of that mind frame where, you know, I know if my mother got treated by someone, I would want them to treat them like I would be, like, treat them as they're your mother. So, you know, it's, I mean, I've, you know, we deal with babies, we've done, done everything. So, but, you know, it's, you can save some, some you can't save, but, you know, it's, it's rough. See, yeah, you're not, <laughs> I, I'm looking at, I, I look at you and I think this guy over the course of his career has probably helped save a lot of people's lives, but you're not even keeping count. You're not even looking at it that way. You're, you're just, you were just saying every day you wanted to go out and help people as much as you could. Correct. So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really um, talk about my opinions a lot on this podcast because I want to focus on the perspectives of people like you, people who I'm talking to, but I have to say th this is shameful that a person who is, who was a 9-11 responder who worked at ground zero for two months and sacrificed part of his own health for that, who was a combat veteran who worked for over 20 years in New York city, responding to medical emergencies who worked through the pandemic <laughs> how long were your shifts uh anywhere it was, it was a minimum of 12 hours um usually we were doing 16 hours and then coming right back so you're working 12 to 16 hour shifts through the pandemic and now due to the mandate policies and the restrictions on the uh, World Trade Center Health Program, you're not able to get medication for the illnesses that you have because of your service, that you, that you acquired through your service to this city and this country. I think sure. that's shameful. It's... I, I never thought it would be like 
ever be this bad, you know. And um, it is shameful that a lot of people give their best lives to this apartment. And a lot of people didn't. There's a there's a captain that's his video is viral. He was fired. A lot of people didn't come on this job to be rich. He's right. They didn't come on this job because it was going to make them famous. Mm-hmm. They came on the job for stability. And like him with a, a, a wife and four kids, I have a wife and six kids, and they just took it all away because we chose to respect our bodies and our religious freedoms, and that wasn't okay with them. What do you want to say to to other New Yorkers? Just to you, you're talking about your service to the department and the city, but really, you did a service to us, to your neighbors, to people. <laughs> living in the city um again and again for many years you did this service is there anything that you want to say to us to to your neighbors um i mean it's if they don't like change that's going on and they don't like the way things are going on Regardless of whatever political party you're with, whatever religion you're with, um, don't just, you know, don't just go out there at seven o'clock, support people, and then when the wind blows, you're at a different, you're, you go to a different direction. Um, if you want change, you are those people for change. You can change. One person can make a change for a lot. And right now, myself and so many others are standing up, especially I'm standing up more or less for my kids because if they let this do this to us now, what are they going to do to my kids in the future? What are they going to shirk my kids on? What freedoms are they going to take away from them? That myself, so many others have fought and others have died for. People aren't expendable. And it's not just with the fire department, the police department, um, sanitation, private, private companies. You have to look at people almost as they're the same as your family, that they're standing up for something that can better their lives in the future and their kids' future. Because anyone anyone can change and do whatever they want to do. You know, my daughter, my daughter wants to be a singer, she wants to be a doctor. This people have come to this country with nothing and made it to everything. Don't ever think that you can't be something or you can't be that one person to make that change. That was the update, and now you'll hear our longer conversation.
Today, I'm talking with Dane Bath, who is on Zoom with me in front of the uh, Bravest for Choice background. <laughs> um, he's a member of Bravest for Choice and was an employee of the um, of FDNY for, I want to say, more than 20 years. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, and you were an EMT, but you, you have a long history of working um, with FDNY, with the city and, you know, a lot of uh, momentous things that have happened in our, our, our city's history. So um, I think I want to begin by just asking you to tell that story. Um, uh, how long exactly did you work for FDNY and um, what, what were you doing? What were your roles um, over that period of time? Um, okay, I've, I've been, I was employed with the fire department for over 20 plus years. Um, I worked at MNT in the streets in Manhattan in the Bronx. Um, then I went to dispatch. I was a dispatcher. Actually, I was a call taker first for um, Queens, Manhattan, and the Bronx. And I moved up to dispatching, became a dispatcher. I was dispatching 911 resources for the Bronx. And then I moved up to a decision dispatcher, which almost is a side partner of the dispatchers that if there's like um, a major catastrophe event, help to make sure the proper resources are all being distributed properly and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so what were you doing right before the pandemic? I was a decision dispatcher up at the Bronx. In the Bronx, During okay. So, um, so then you worked throughout the pandemic. Correct. T tell me what that was like. Um, it was, I mean, I was indoors working, so it was a different situation for me. But as far as dealing with the calls coming in, dispatching the ambulances, um, the wait times for the ambulances, because everyone was calling, it's um, very stressful. Like um, a lot of times we were staying there just because it's easier just to stay there and come back for the next shift than to leave, go home and everything, come back. And then, you know, you never know who was, who could have got sick there. And then you don't want to bring stuff home to your family. And, you know, it was, it was, it was stressful, definitely. Okay. So when we're talking about the pandemic period, we're talking about like, you know, the beginning of 2020, um, so you saw the the, the wait times um, become longer during that first part yeah. of the year. Correct. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, usually, you know, we try and get people obviously the ambulance as fast as possible. But if you have the city almost collapsing pretty much because so many people are calling because so many people are nervous, unknowing what to do, so they call nine one one. Because, you know, either they're sick or they waited till the last minute because they were like, oh, we don't call 911. They, you know, they waited, tried to wait it out. And then, you know, no, no doctors knew what was going on or anything. So it was, it was just a mess. What kinds of calls were they? Were, were they, um, was this a lot of people with, um, you know, issues directly related to, COVID, you know, like respiratory issues? Or what, what kinds of things were you getting? Um, there, was, there was a lot of people who had fevers, that had cough, had trouble breathing. Um, 
along with all you know other ailments that other people have going on but um it was you know everyone's calling and then they were pretty much marking all, all calls as a, almost a fever cough meaning it could be a possible covid so then you have to then especially when you get on scene with an ambulance you have to take the proper precautions suiting up to make sure you're the proper ppe and everything to make sure mm-hmm. you can go in that into their apartment building whatever house depending which location you're at so how how long did that last that period of um an, an increase increased number of people calling like that um I would say probably about 10 months because we were, we were up over seven, our normal call, call volume is about three to 4,000. We were all easily over 7,000 during that peak time. Hmm. And you're saying that during the first, like through the fall. Correct. Yeah. Because remember fall, fall is also flu season. So People were calling probably thinking they had COVID, but they could have the flu. No one knew, no one knew exactly what, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you have a sneeze, you know, if you lose your sense of taste or smell, you know, if you have a fever, chills, no one knew exactly all the symptoms of what happens. Because every, every, every human being is different. So everyone can have a different symptom to any ailment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What so you're it sounds like not everybody calling was in a state of real distress. Some some just had um symptoms that they were afraid were related to COVID. Is that what you're saying? Some of them could some of them, you know, some of them, you know, were possible COVID patients and um, but you know, I w- I wasn't transporting, so I really don't know as far as that. But right. um, you know. You know, people call in when they're nervous. They don't. They have no one else to reach out to. I guess so. They they call nine one one to be like, "Listen, I'm sick. You know, I need to go to the hospital." Mm-hmm. Were there? Do you, do you think there were more people calling um, with other problems instead of going to an emergency room? Instead of going to a hospital, was that happening also because people didn't want to go into hospitals? I would say so. Yes, because a lot. I mean. A lot of people will wait until like the last minute too. Like, let's say you were having chest pain mm-hmm. or you're having trouble breathing, you know, but you don't want to go to the hospital because you have chest pain because you're scared you might get sick in the hospital with COVID. So you would wait, you know, you know, with the chest pain rather than dealing with it when it's a life threatening emergency, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard um, sort of different timelines. Um, from different people who were working in emergency services in terms of um, when there was a real peak in people having emergencies and calling ambulances and, you know, calling for help and when it kind of ebbed off. Um, So, but you're saying it didn't really start to ebb until kind of the winter of 2020, 2021. Around there, it started, you know, it started slowly, slowly, gradually, but for that main summer and probably September, it was real. We're up in the seven, 
I think was the highest number we had seven, 7,200, 7,300 calls. Yeah. Hmm. So what, so then, um, what happened with you during this period? So you were, you were working, um, during this increased, uh, you know, period of increased activity, were you working longer hours? Were you, what, 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 how did, how did this change things for you, if at all? Um, well, we, we worked 12 hour shifts. Sometimes we were like, um, majority of the time we were doing 16 hour shifts. Um, and you know, go sleep for a couple hours, get ready, come back, you know? So, but I mean, it was just, it was a stressful time because, you know, everyone was not knowing what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like you had, um, more insight into what was going on because of your job than, you know, your average New Yorker or, or not really? At first, I really didn't know because no one knew exactly when it first came out what it what it was. Um, later on, as progressed, I would say I felt um, that it was more. I don't want to say how is you don't want to say political, but it was more. You know, especially on TV, you would see on TV all you would see was the numbers going up. You know, people dying, numbers going up. It was almost like they were trying to put more fear into people than, um, but, you know, it when it first came out, it's like no one knew what exactly it was. And mm-hmm. people were just nervous. Everyone was, you know, like anyone, anyone's going to call nervous. That's, you know, if you don't know what's going on and it's a sudden thing, you're going to be nervous to call. And then the hospitals were overfilled with all the people going in they didn't even have, they had like tents outside trying to see people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were seeing this, uh, like in, in the Bronx hospitals that you were. I know one of the Bronx hospitals, um, that was set up like that over by Albert Einstein. Um, yeah. but you know, then they pretty much, you know, if you weren't like, in real respiratory distress or anything, they will just tell you go home. If your symptoms get worse, call call back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then then we're into like early twenty twenty one. You're saying things kind of started to ebb off then in terms of the volume of calls that you were getting, or um, it slowed down a little bit. We started going back towards our our normal our normal numbers we used to used to work to. Yeah. And then that's when the, um, the vaccines were rolled out also. Correct. So what was your first impression of the vaccines? What was your first take on that? Um, honestly, I didn't, I didn't know, um, when they first came out, but the first vaccines first came out, you know, I know a lot of people wanted them, um, there's different rumors with them, um, you know, how effective they were with the tr- transmission and everything. Um, I felt when they first came out, you know, anything's like, you know, I spent time in the middle. So when you're doing it, like something that rushed without a proper testing period, you know, um, you can't, you're not going to really know the effects of something until 
it's been properly tested. So I didn't, I didn't really know what the vaccines, you know, my mother got the vaccine cause she's elderly. She's 79 now, but, um, I didn't get the vaccine. I just didn't, you know, due to religious and other situations. And so, I worked in the whole path with it, you know. Right. So initially you were just kind of like, uh, wait and see how this, you were like skeptical initially. And then. Because they said it was, it was a very high um, survivability rate. And I'm majority healthy person, exercise mm -hmm. and everything. And I, I believe I had actually COVID. Um, the test came back then, but the, like when I was in the one hospital, the doctor was like, well, if this isn't COVID, we don't know what it is. But um, I recovered, you know, I have asthma and stuff and I recovered and, um, you know, I never had, you know, never had a problem with it. I mean, I could say. I never lost sense of taste, smell, anything like that. So are you saying that you were in the hospital, like you were admitted to the hospital because you were sick? I was never admitted. I, I was seen in the hospital, like mm. in the ER, mm -hmm. uh, probably about November of 2020. And they released me and they just told me to go home and rest. So you, you had a bunch of symptoms that seemed like COVID. You went in and they were like, Correct. go home. Yeah, okay. Right. I went in, I said, you know, they, they, they took the, they did a rapid test. They did a, then a non-rapid test. And then they said it came back negative, but the doctor was like, all the symptoms I was given, like telling what I was feeling, um, especially with my headache. I, I was like, I, I prolonged myself going to the hospital. Um, I had a headache for like maybe a week, constant headache. I couldn't get rid of it. I took Tylenol, Advil, couldn't get rid of it. So I finally, I was like, I can't deal with the headache anymore. So I went in. Gave him my symptoms, what I was feeling. And doctor's like, well, if this isn't COVID, I don't know what it is. They did the two COVID tests. They both came back negative. So I was like, he's like, but, you know, those tests aren't 100% sure. So just go home, rest. And then if you feel worse, you know, come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so the vaccine came out in 2021. When did you first hear about the requirement about the mandate? Heard about the requirement probably about I want to say August maybe they came out with something or July I believe they came out with an order mm -hmm. saying that they wanted all the employees to to be vaccinated for you know they they must take the vaccine for their job. So, <laughs> so what was your response? <laughs> um. I didn't get the vaccine. I put in a religious exemption for it. Um, and I put in my exemption probably about, because what happens, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at first. And then I postponed it. till you had to have it by I think October and I didn't get it then. And then I guess the union worked out a deal and I put in my exemption in. And then um, what happened was, that they denied my exemption and they denied my appeal and I was put on leave without pay and I was just terminated this past June for not getting the vaccine. 
Do you want to talk about your um, religious objections to taking it? Um, there's there's numerous because it's you know well one there's a lot of things of it being used with fetal cells, um, which you know I'm really objected to, and then there's the there's the other part where with the religious that you know. And what's funny is when I went for my hearing for my unemployment, the judge said, flat out says, we don't deny that you have a sincerely held religious belief, but the job's forcing you to get it. And they denied even for my unemployment. Even the job, when I was at my hearing, says, oh, no, we're not denying you because we don't believe you have a sincerely held religious belief. So it's like, so then why am I getting to that? And they was didn't this, have an answer. What what hearing was this? Was this with the um this was for my wife. unemployment. When I was on when I was on leave without pay, I applied for unemployment. And they denied me the first time because at first, the first time when they denied me, they told me because I what I I quit my job. I said I never quit my job. I was put on leave. I was terminated. And then when I put in my submission for my appeal, they said, oh, no, no, you didn't quit your job. You were you were terminated because I, what did they say? They said I was terminated for like almost like a conduct unbecoming. Like I got terminated because of my actions. Mm-hmm. But I, I was never brought up on any, in when you're a city employee, you usually get out. Um, there's a charge thing that has to go through an Oracle 75 hearing if you get in charges brought against you. And I, I was never brought up on any charges from the department that I was <laughs> I did anything wrong. So it, it made no sense. So, okay, so let me get the <laughs> the order of things straight here. You So first you submitted a request for a religious exemption and you received a, den- a denial for that when? Um, I received a denial for that. What do I want to say? Let me, um, I believe I got it in no, the original denial I got in November and I appealed it. I want to say I appealed it in December. No, I'm sorry. Original play was um yes. Re- original original submission was in November. I got denied December sixth, December fifth, and I was put on leave without pay. And then um I was denied in April of this year, April 25th of this year. And then I was terminated actually at 6.10 at nine o'clock in the morning. Right. So, so the, okay. When you were first denied, you, that, that happened through what, like a letter or something. And then you appealed. I, um, I put in the, the request for the religious accommodation through my EEO office and then they denied it. And they tried to say I was denied because of, um, it would bring 
I guess the staff, I want to say staffing trip. Um, they said because it was, um, what's it? Excuse me. Um, they told me because according to them, it would cause an undue hardship to the department. Right. And not that, not that, you know, there was any objection to my religious claim. It was just saying there would be an undue hardship to the department. But according to the vaccine mandate that came out, according to the vaccine mandate that came out, it says the only undue hardship that would be accepted that, you know, there wouldn't be a hard new hardship is for weekly testing and for the, the weekly testing. I said, I have no problem doing the weekly testing. But they said that it would cause us an undue hardship to the department. So then, but that, the first time you were denied, it was just like you got a letter or something. And then the second time on the appeal, you went before the citywide panel. Yeah, I didn't even go before city wide panel. You send everything in mm-hmm. and you send in, you know, your I send my original documentation, my religious beliefs with it, um why and everything. And I never even spoke to anyone on a panel. They just the panel just ruled without even having a I guess a Zoom meeting, conference meeting, me going into an in-person meeting, anything. They just ruled saying Okay, I thought you said there was some there was a judge or someone who who said no. That was in my that was in my unemployment case. That was in your unemployment case. Okay. Okay. So so the citywide panel rejected you, but you never went before them, and then and then you tried to apply for unemployment, and you went before they they rejected you, and you appealed it. Is that what happened? They they rejected me, um, and then I appealed it. And then when, when you do the appeal, then you go before you'll have, I believe the EEO commissioner or the, one of the people from EEO was there. Mm-hmm. You had, um, there was another captain, I believe, I don't remember who, which captain was exactly there. Um, and then the judge, and then, you know, I tried to tell them, like, listen, I wasn't terminated. They kept trying to say I was terminated. Um, I asked them specifically, the, the person from the EEO office who was representing the department, like, was I terminated due to my religious beliefs? That, you know, they said, no, you weren't terminated due to your religious beliefs. So, you know, so, um, actually, I wasn't terminated at that time. I was like, I was put on leave. So they said, and then I got the appeal letter. You know, you have the conference. They'll send an appeal letter out to you that, during the decision. I got the appeal letter and a thing saying, the judge was like, we... Don't doubt your sincere religious beliefs, but because I didn't get it, it because I didn't take the vaccine, they considered me more or less quitting, which mm-hmm. I never did. They, the department put me on leave without pay. The department tried to coerce me to get the vaccine by June 30th again to come back to work. And I'm like, you're telling me, oh, if if I get the vaccine by June 30th, you can come back to work. Well, if I'm holding my sincere religious belief and I've held it for eight months about now, you know, do you think I'm just going to bend and fold? Like, that makes no sense. Right. 
Right. So, um, but you were you were applying for unemployment while you were on leave without pay. Was correct. Okay. So, what what were the terms of? Because I, I I know more maybe about the terms of um, leave without pay that the teachers had. Um, but what were the terms of your leave without pay? Could you, did they allow you to work anywhere else while you were on leave or you're saying you were applying for unemployment? Like what, what were the terms? They didn't bring out any clear terms. Usually like you can't work, like if I want to work another EMT job or another medical position, it has to be with department's got to approve it so there's no conflict of interest anything mm-hmm. going on um that's why you're pretty much in limbo with the department saying well you know you're on leave without pay you can't work another job because then if i work another job and i get medical benefits then it's a conflict of interest with the medical you know if you have if you're getting medical benefits with the job um so they weren't clear about you know i believe no one letter said you couldn't work another job I'd have to pull it up. I have everything saved, luckily. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I have to exactly what each letter says. But okay, so so, but you weren't you you weren't working another job. You weren't able to do no. that. No, I wasn't. I've been I've been home since the whole time since December. Right. So, and you were terminated relatively recently um i mean some people it was way <laughs> months before that um but you what how tell me about the financial consequences of all this at, at all these different phases of the process for you um well since since i've been at work since december luckily you know my wife's been very supportive um She's actually working two jobs to try and hold everything together. Uh, I pretty much defaulted on all my credit cards. I got, you know, which I'm pretty much, I'm probably going to look at filing bankruptcy right now. Um, it's been hard on my kids because, you know, I got it. My youngest is five. So my daughter, you know, we go out. She's like, oh, can you get me this? Can you get me that? And it's not the same thing. Like, you know, daddy's not working right now. So I can't, you can't provide the same for them. Like when I was working. So my life's been turned up upside down pretty much. Um, I'm not sure on my certification because I know they extended the certification during COVID. I believe it was a year or two years. I'm not sure, but um, I'm pretty much, I, I lost my certification because I did all my certification through the fire department. They would recertify me every three years. Mm-hmm. So because COVID, they weren't doing any, they weren't doing any classes. So if I want to go work another EMT job right now, I probably have to take a whole nother EMT class again. So that's that's on there. So it's 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 hard going from having everything you had and um to try and go get barely get by, it's it's a nightmare. Because I've been I've worked I've worked since I've been fifteen, so I'm forty nine now. So I've worked every, you know, and then having this happen is is almost you know 
just a bad dream. So was your, when you were working, your wife was working one job and then after when all this happened, she picked up another one? Correct. Yeah. Um, so I mean, she works all hours. She, she, I mean, she's really sacrificed. Um, she works from not, not every day, but three, three, sometimes four. She, she'll work from nine o'clock in the morning to one thirty in the morning. So she's really stepped up during wow. this time. Mm-hmm. You're not, she, she's not working in the city, right? No, no, no. She's working out in Jersey, New Jersey. Okay. So I, I don't know if you want to talk about her, how, how mandates might have affected her work, but in New Jersey, um, you don't have the same situation with mandates. Um, they didn't, man- the only thing they, that the really was mandated was the mask and um, while, while she was working. But uh, there was no, I mean, they mandated the vaccines for, I guess, some hospitals and healthcare people. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as her job, they didn't mandate the vaccine. Just um, just you know, the mask one. That's about it. So, okay. So, so what? When you were on leave without pay, basically you retained your medical, right? Is that? But nothing else. Um, correct. As far okay. as far as I, as far as yeah. I know, I won't remember. And then um. And then you were terminated and where does that, so you were, you were never able to get unemployment or anything. Correct. That was consistently denied. Um, so, so where does that leave you now in terms of employment? I mean, you're, you're in New Jersey, right? So, um, I'm in, I'm, well, I used to live in Staten Island. I'm in New Jersey right now because I'm helping take care of my mother. Um, cause she's okay. sick too now, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's it, it's hard trying to find, it's not the same where you don't have the same income coming in, trying to, I guess, do the things I did before. So I can't, you know, I have to stay like, rather than, I mean, I, I believe my mom gets someone, but it's, you know, it's, it, and it's, it's not hard, I mean, You don't want like you've been in one career your whole life and then trying to switch to something different out the blue is is, is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about what about staying in the same field? You're saying that you might have to renew your certification, but is that something that's viable in, you know, working in I, New Jersey? I would I would have to I would I'm in process right now calling the state. The out if when they the extension ended or if it's still good um you have to do a, i think you have to file with new jersey and then they have to approve it from new york and send because i don't know because if they say oh well he was terminated you know i don't know if that's going to look if that's going to be frowned upon um mm-hmm. or if they say why you were terminated i mean obviously because of the vaccine i mean i did nothing you know there was no wrongdoing on my any patient care or anything like that but, you know, I, I have to wait to see what New Jersey would say. Right. But there's no mandate in place there that would prevent you f- from getting a job for that reason for, for people in your field. Not that I know of right now, no. Okay. 
Um, but you were in, you were living in Staten Island at the time when all of this was <laughs> unfolding Correct. and went to Jersey later. Correct. Do you, do you want to talk about the situation with your house at all? Um, well, I'm, we just found like an apartment in Staten Island that pretty much we moved back in with my mother because we couldn't afford everything that was going on. So, you know, I mean, luckily my mother had a space. She, you know, she, she understood, you know, she was very accepting of everything. So luckily, you know, I, I was good on that sense. If we didn't have her, I don't know where we'd be right now. Right. And what, so what happened? To, you just gave up the apartment in Staten Island? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Tell me, like, I know, I know that you have a, a long history with, um, with the city. Where are you, where are you from? Are you from Staten Island originally? Um, no, well, I was born, I was born in Chicago. I lived in New Jersey for a while. Um, and then went to the military, spent some time in the military. And then my father got sick. And when my father got sick is the time when I um, decided to almost to go into the medical field to, um, to try and help others. And then I went to New York. Oh, okay. So this was, you were in the Marines, right? Correct. So after you were in the Marines, you um, you came to New York and got training. And when when was that? You're talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking all the way back in '98, '99. So you moved here right before. Not right before the the twenty first century. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but right before nine eleven, which was a major event for emergency workers, um, what what was your experience of that? Um, it was kind of surreal because I spent time overseas and. It's almost was like going back when I was over there. It was it was it was it was bad. Were you uh, by that time were you working in the field? Yes. I was down in 911. At as a, an EMT or in some yes. other capacity. Okay. Oh, yeah, as an EMT. Mhm. Okay, so you you were working down there um, at for FDNY at the time. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Was that was that something that had um, enough for a lot of people that had health effects and, um, and 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 also affected the way that they viewed um, the way the authorities handled emergency situations like that. I, I don't know if you want to say anything about those issues. Um, I mean, I have health problems from it. Um, I have like 
I mean, actually, it's been good. Luckily, knock on wood, uh, with my asthma and everything else like that from it. Um, but but no one, no one planned for it. You know, it was, it was, uh, I don't even know how to say it. You know, you, you, you can train. It's almost like, I mean, you can train all you want until something tragic like that happens. It's just, there, there's never enough training to prepare you. Mm-hmm. I think um, people our age, you know, we're both Generation X. Um, I mean, obviously you were working there. You, you remember it very well. You know, I was living here. I remember it from that perspective. But there's a whole generation of people who, that for them, that's that's history. Your kids, you know, um, and they didn't. Uh, they they they, yeah. It's a historical event. They didn't experience the city, New York City, at that time, and the and what it was like then. Um, I I don't know. How do you how do you think about the way that the city? was around that time and how it evolved to to like how have you seen it change over time as someone who's been out there um as an emergency well, worker when that happened you saw you saw a lot of city come together as one regardless of whatever differences people had with each other um different ethnic backgrounds if the city came together as one um and really tried to to heal that way going forward now now the 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 city is just too divided between everyone it's it you know especially with this um with the pandemic with the vaccines um and even when you know before with people wearing masks people you know Oh, you know, yelling at people about wearing masks. And I mean, it's I, I, it's a whole different generation from when we were growing up. It's not it's not the same generation anymore. But what do you mean by that exactly? <laughs> um, our generation is more like you had a lot of people more helping each other. Um, it's now it's almost like everyone's they're just worried about themselves. They don't worry about um you know if if someone needs help or something like that. It's not about it's uh, a lot a lot of the a lot of the I don't want to say kids, but you know some people just feel like they're entitled. To what they have, rather than people like us, we've like and my, my you know my parents, my grandparents, a lot of people worked for what they had to get where they're at. A lot of people just feel like they're entitled now that they should they should just have it given to them. I think that you know people compare um, you know baby boomers and millennials a lot, and um, 
you know, they'll say, well, the baby boomers had it uh, so much better. Things are so much worse for the millennials. Um, they can never, you know, achieve the American dream or um, have have all the things that the baby boomers had. They don't talk about the, the in-between generation that much, you know, our generation. <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of this like transitional generation but you know a lot of the a lot of younger people feel that um it's not that they don't want to work for it but that the uh, as much they they can work and work and they and they won't have um the opportunity to achieve or attain the things that the older generations did you think that's that's not true I, me personally i don't see that true um I mean, my wife, for example, she's from Dominican Republic. She came here um, and, you know, it's anyone you can do and she's, you can be anything and do anything you, if you allow yourself to do it. You have to you have to put yourself forward to actually do it to make that advancement. You can't just rely on everyone else to give you everything to do it. Yes, sometimes it's going to be hard. It's going to be long days, whatever, working, whatever you got to do. Um, but you you can achieve whatever you want if you put your mind to it. But you have to be willing to make the sacrifice to be what you want to be and do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you were saying before that there was, that there was a, a kind of a solidarity um, when it was nine 11 in, in the city that you, you don't see now it's very divided. Um, and I, I think you're right. I, I, I remember there being around the period of nine 11, there being a, a huge um, outpouring of support for, firefighters for all the emergency workers um and and just a feeling of kind of solidarity uh among people and we kind of saw that in the early part of the pandemic i think i i, I it reminded me of the 9-11 period right um, right with the people like seven o'clock at night always you know clapping and everything outside yeah mm-hmm um so you must have experienced that part of it, right? That in the early days there was a lot of support for emergency workers and you know quote unquote essential workers who were out there um, while while a lot of people were working from home. Um, so, so what did you see? Like, how did how did you see it shift? Though, was it just when you got? When, when the mandate came down and you got denied your job, or did you see, like, just in your everyday life, did you see a change? Um, it's been, it's, I mean, it was nice to see that solidarity, you know, that at that certain time every day, you know, with the people, but it's, it's been slowly, I want to say declining back, you know, to, um the late 80s where i mean it, it's it's sad when you see people that 
you used to be able to go out and do what they wanted to do that can't really do that anymore with all the crime and everything going on in the city. I mean, who, I mean, I don't, I don't know how people, some people still, that's why I see a lot of people leaving, but it's just, not, it's not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll um, just not come back to the city for that reason? And, you know, for all, all of the things that have happened um, in your life, do, do you think you won't end up back in New York City? You'll stay in Jersey? Um, I mean, I don't know, honestly. Um, if, if Honestly, right now, if I could, because my mom just retired this past June. Um, if I could actually get my mom to get up and go, I would actually probably go down south. I would just leave the up north and just go down south. Um, but, you know, my mom's older. She's stuck in her ways, you know, so, you know, she's here. I, and I can't leave her by herself, obviously. So um, I'm here for while she's here. Um, the city, I mean, I would like to go back to the city. I would like to take, you know, my kids go on the subway, um, show me, you know, you know, the, the old stuff we used to, I mean, I, I took my kids down to Times Square um, a couple of years ago, but I'd be scared to take my kids on the train now because you have to watch everything. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's sad that you have to worry about that as bad as you do now. Why down south? Well, I won't have to deal with the cold as much anymore. I don't mind the cold, <laughs> but um, it's, I don't know. Just, I have a lot of friends who retired to Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina. Um, some moved to Texas. Some moved simply for, um, I mean, yeah, it's cheap. It's cheaper down there. Um, you know the jobs don't pay as much, but but it's I want to say a, not a more relaxed, but it's it's a slower lifestyle too. It's a uh, the high high paced. I mean, depending where you go. Obviously, if you go Miami, Miami is just a little New York almost. But it's you know mm-hmm. it's a slower a slow you know it's a little bit slower pace you know getting older now so can't you know (laughs) gotta make some changes has this whole um this whole saga of the pandemic and the mandates and everything has this changed your um political views has this changed your views about the way government functions or you know society functions (laughs) um Government-wise, rather than them always going back and forth fighting with each other, they need to come together. Honestly, it's, it's and I don't believe it's it's part government, it's part the media, it's um some people just said in their ways whether whatever affiliation you're with, um. It's it it's it's multiple things. It's not just 
political. Do they do they put a? I guess heavier weight towards it. I would say yes with the political, just because you know. I've never seen them forcing something on someone. I mean, perfect example. We'll make it political with the abortion, the Roe versus Wade, the overturn. It's my body, my choice for abortion. But it's not my body, my choice for when the vaccine came out. It was an experimental vaccine. And you were terminating people and upending their lives because they didn't want to, they want to take a vaccine. So it can't, it, it's, it, there's got to be an equal balance to the power with it. Because you can't say it's my body, my choice for one thing, but it's not my body, my choice for another. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> What do you make of the um, what do you make of the arguments that uh, the public health officials are making for mandates and for the vaccines? What what do you make of the public safety arguments? Them saying that you know everyone needs to take the vaccine in order to um, reduce the spread of the virus. I think is the you know obviously it, it hasn't stopped the spread of the virus, but now I think the um, what they're saying is that it will reduce the spread of the, the virus. People who um, get vaccinated are less likely to um, to be contagious um, before that's obvious. Um, so they'll, <clears throat> they'll just stay home and they won't spread it. Um, you, you work in an emergency field, there are people who feel that people who work in fields like that are, should be subject to mandates because they come in contact with vulnerable people who need to be protected. So people like you need to do everything you can to reduce any, uh, you know, chance of harm that they they might get from coming in contact with the virus. What do you think about all those arguments? Um. Well, we're <laughs> um, that's almost, we could put that if we're going to say that we come in contact with vulnerable people, we, co- we contact vulnerable people every day, whether it be not, you know, it could just be something simple as chicken pox. You get mumps, measles. Um, you could have people with HIV. Um, are you going to force them to take a? Um, they don't have a vaccine, but are you going to afford medication? So, because technically they're they can become vulnerable and they can transmit it. Um, in the beginning, with the the vaccine, it was more. Oh, it's going to stop you from getting it. It's going to stop you from spreading it. Then it went from it's going to stop you from getting it and spreading it to it just won't make you as sick and it'll stop you from spreading it. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't stop you from spreading it. It doesn't stop you from getting it. Oh, it just reduces the symptoms. I mean, 
technically the term vaccine isn't what that vaccine is actually doing. If it's not stopping you from spreading it and giving it, but you're forcing on people and you're forcing people to lose their jobs and their livelihood, it's, it's, it's almost criminal. Um, and the, Fauci actually said in one of his interviews, I forgot, I think it was back from the late 80s or 90s, I want to say, with the flu, he said the best immunity is from natural immunity, from getting it. Mm-hmm. Rather than, and if you look now, the majority of people, you're the president. I think he's double vaxxed and double, triple boosted, testing positive. His wife's testing positive. All these, all these people who are vaccinated are testing more positive. So, and, and it was funny because when someone had a, a comedy, a comedy sketch, one of the, this uh, painter from Staten Island. So he's, and he says, what's more, what are you more worried about? When you remember when they had, you have to be vaccinated to go eat in any restaurants. So what are you more worried about? The guy who's vaccinated going into a restaurant that only vaccinated people at, that could be spreading it to vaccinated people, or the guy who's getting tested weekly that you know is negative from having it and going in and spreading and spreading what? Mm-hmm. It's like it made <laughs> and he made the perfect point. You had the guy who's not getting tested because he's vaccinated, going and possibly spreading the virus to someone who you know is not spreading it because he's unva- uh, he's unvaccinated and testing negative. But you're forcing people to still do it. Would you like uh, hypothetically, if um, you know they came out with a vaccine that really did stop transmission? And, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the virus was really dangerous still. Um, do, you, do you see any circumstance where a mandate would be appropriate? Do you think that there's any kind of, you know, bar for that? <laughs> or do you, do you think it's always inappropriate to require people to have a medical procedure like that? People should have a choice. They shouldn't be forced to do something. Or like more or less coercion. Because if you're mm-hmm. forced, if you're telling me, well, you have to take this, otherwise we're gonna take your job. That's not me making an informed consent decision. That's you coercing me saying, if I don't do this, you as the government or you as my employer, the city, whoever I'm working for, can just take whatever I have away. It's control. It's not. It's not me make. It's not me making that decision. Saying yes, I want it. No, I want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of saying no. It's never appropriate for <laughs> for government, right. for right. public health authorities to require that of people. 
Yeah. I mean, yes, is there a public health? How do you say a public health avenue they should take? Um, yes, but you can't, I mean, you can't force someone to take something that one is experimental and two without them saying whether they, they want to take it or not. You can't just be like, well, you have to take this or, or else. Mm -hmm. What do you think, what would you have um, liked to see them do differently? I mean, you were really kind of on the front line of the whole pandemic period. What, how do you think they should have handled it differently in New York? Um, I have a lot of friends who got, who got the vaccine um, before the mandate, obviously. Um, I have some who got it because they had no other choice. Um, they have families, they have mortgages. They had, they literally had no other choice to support their family than to take it. Um, I was lucky, you know, I had the, the support I did and I stuck with my decisions. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a tough decision. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But do you think there are other, um, like other public health measures that, that were the right thing to do or like, how should government, how should emergency services, how should everyone respond to a dangerous pandemic? Um, this was the first one in my lifetime because yeah. I've never, <laughs> um, it's, I mean, obviously, they they even said they didn't they didn't plan right for the pandemic the way they had it. Um, you can always prepare. You can always excuse me. You can always plan, but you can never be one hundred percent prepared for anything that comes. Mm -hmm. So, you, but you don't have any. Like from from your vantage point, having worked in the field that you work in during the pandemic, you you're not like okay, this is what they screwed up, you know. Aside from the mandate, like this is this is how they screwed up, and this is what they should do differently next time. You don't have like a well, the the the, the masks they said were working really didn't work. Yeah. Um, and then you had people who were using the, 95, the N95 masks rather than just using the surgical masks who, if you keep it in place and you don't touch it, you don't move it, they can last up to eight hours. But you have people, they'll be touching it, they'll be moving it. Right there, you're contaminating everything. Um, there was so much unknown about it that they didn't know what to tell people the correct way to do things. Um, you know, if some people want to wear the mask, obviously, you know, protect yourself. Do what do what's best for your what you believe your own health interest is. Um, but you shouldn't force people. Like, if you're saying it has a ninety nine point seven survivability rate, but you're forcing everyone 
to wear masks, take vaccines, that kind of doesn't go in line with, well, it's got a 99% survival rate, but you're forcing all these people to do this for it. Mm-hmm. Now, if it was something like some other disease they were talking about that's possible, and it, and it was a more a 50% mortality rate, that's, I mean, you're talking night and day difference. But if you're saying 99% of the population will live from it and it's not causing, you know. And a lot of the problem was too that everything that happened was, everything was being coded if you were sick, if you passed away, everything was being coded as COVID. There was an article about a, I think it was a 12-year-old or 13-year-old went to the hospital with a broken arm. And he went for the broken arm. They coded him as COVID because they tested him while he was in the hospital for COVID. They coded him as COVID, not for going in as a broken arm. Mm-hmm. So they didn't plan properly. And I don't want to say what their numbers are and what they did, but just don't go online the way what they 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 added up the way they did. Did you see um, severe cases of COVID personally yourself and your among people that you knew? I didn't know. No, not me personally. I didn't. Hmm. So how do you like? How do you reconcile all of these different? things happening in your personal life. You didn't see anyone have a serious case of it. You maybe had it yourself, but it was something you just got over. Um, while at the same time, you you were seeing a huge number of, a huge uptick in the emergency calls that you were getting as a dispatcher. Um, you were saying that the, you saw, you personally saw that the hospitals were full, um, at least during some period. How do you make sense of what was what was going on? You know, everyone is like looking back and seeing what the media was saying and then what they were experiencing personally and and trying to understand, like, what was really going on? What's when you look at all these factors, your personal experience and your work experience, like what's your take on what happened? They put so much fear on the people that. If you had a fever, anything come down with anything, you possibly had COVID. So everyone was like, no one, no one knew what to do. No one, I mean, there's never been a pandemic like this in, in my generation since I've been alive. So no one knew, no one knew how to, I guess, prepare the public on, on what they should do. Like, unless you, you know, if you have certain symptoms, do this. You keep your distance. Um, when I went home, like when they sent me home, when they thought they told me to go home and rest, when they thought I had possibly had COVID. Um, I have a house of between my mother and my wife, and I have six kids. So you have nine people in my house. Um, what do you? What do you do? I mean. You can isolate some people, but what do you do about some people who are just have an apartment? They're going out to try and work during the pandemic to bring whatever they can home, but 
but then they're coming home. They don't have enough space to even, I guess, quarantine properly. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what, you know, you have the close quarter stuff, which it's, it's hard. It's just that, you know, no one was prepared for this. That's, that's the problem. But do you think that, um, I mean, just people, people have really different understandings of how serious it really was, how dangerous it really was, how, you know, and you have this perspective on it, seeing all the calls come in, but also, you know, seeing things personally, like, do you think it was the, the way the danger was presented in the media? Did it, are you kind of saying it made things, it made people's response worse, that it made um, it harder to deal with, that it was, that there was such oh, a... Definitely with that, that it made it worse. Because okay. if, if you keep throwing the same narrative at someone or, you know, at a general who's ever watched, if you keep throwing the same, if you keep throwing the numbers on the TV screen, you're saying, oh, these positive cases, these positive cases, these number of deaths, you, you create a fear in the population. And fear generates control. So that's the way they can control by the fear. Mm -hmm. Right. Were all of your kids, did, did your kids um, do remote learning? Yes, they did. Um, they did remote learning. And then last, last September, they went back to school. So this you were in Staten Island when they shut the so your schools were or your kids were in um, New York City public schools in Staten Island. No, they were in New Jersey. In New Jersey, they were, okay. They were in New right. Okay. Um. Yeah. So they, had, they they would do four hours of partial class and then remote. And then it was like alternate days with it. And then January went to full, I guess they, they brought them in. But then if there was, if there was someone, if there was like, depending on, I guess, the number of cases, like if someone tested positive, they would shut the school down and then go straight back to remote. I mean, it was, it was my oldest, my oldest daughter, it was rough on. It really took a toll on her. Because they needed, you know, you go from everyday social interaction, you have your friends, um, you know, you're playing your gym, you're seeing your friends and everything. And then just going from that going on every day to just like slamming on the brakes and saying, listen, you're staying home, you do everything computer based and you have no interaction with anyone. It, it, it's hard. It, it took a toll on her. I mean, luckily she's doing better now and everything like that. But um, it 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 took a toll on them. Is she a high school age? She just started high school this year. Okay, so she was. But she, yeah, yeah. But she she was always she was an always an A student, and you saw with when they shut down and they would do remote and everything, her grades dropped. 
Um, she got like almost more depressed. Um, luckily now she's back, back up where she was. Um, but it, it, she, she took the hardest toll, I, I would think. Mm-hmm. So you have six school age kids. Six. My youngest just started kindergarten uh, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> so, so were you, so during the, when they were doing the remote learning during the pandemic, you were on leave without pay during that time, right? Correct. And so were you like managing the, the remote learning for all of these kids? Try, trying to, it's, <laughs> it's tough to but you don't learn. They weren't learning the same as if they were in person. Cause if you're only having a, a bit here and a bit there, it's not the same as where you're sitting in a whole class, you know, with the teacher and, and everything else. It's, it's just not the same learning experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Have you, you know, you said that you're, um, your older daughter is, you know, getting back to things and, and, and doing better. But do, do you see it? Um, have you seen like a lasting effect of that remote learning period um, for your kids now? Did, did it leave them in a different place or? Um, she's, they're, they're, they're recouping. Um, she's doing better. Like before she didn't want to go out. She wanted to stay in her room mm-hmm. and everything now you know she's coming out she's going out a lot more um going to hang out with friends more so it's she's gradually going back to where she was before whether she should be 100 percent going back to before the pandemic and the learning only time will tell but she's she's moving in the right directions luckily um let me ask you, uh, okay, so you you have the Bravest for Choice uh, behind you. Tell tell me a little bit about Bravest for Choice. And there's been this uh, protest movement, anti-mandate protest movement that Bravest for Choice has been part of. But tell me a little bit about your relationship with that organization. Um, I'm a part of it. Um, I didn't found it or anything like that. Um, we're firefighters, EMTs, paramedics who are um, against the mandate um, should be your choice of, you know, if you want to take the vaccine or not. Um, but no one should have to make a choice between their, between giving up their livelihood and taking up a vaccine for, you know, for their, um, you know, for them to live. Mm-hmm. Were you, have you um, been part of the protest movement at, at all, or are you just supporting the organization? I've been at some of the protests. Um, I try and go when I can. Um, sometimes it's a little bit hard because then I got to make sure I'm, you know, I'm around because, especially now with my wife doing working two jobs. So, um, mm-hmm. that way, if, you know, my mom's got doctor's appointments, wherever, but I try and go out there, um, and, and whatever I can with the protest. What, what are your thoughts about the protest movement in general? Um, 
I mean, I mean, hopefully, you know, we can, you know, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it's, you should be able to make your own choices. And that's what we want people to do. We want, we, we should, we feel we shouldn't have to have people forced into making a decision. You know, you, <clears throat> you don't force it's, you know, not everything is always black and white, but you have people, I mean, and there's a lot of people on the job that they've worked. You've had some people from seven years to 15 years to a couple of members over 20 years that really took a toll on us. Um, they gave their livelihoods. Um, they gave up times being with their families to work. And more or less you say, well, take this or we're going to take away everything you've worked for, everything you love to do with your job. Um, people don't become firefighters, EMTs, paramedics. Um, some do just to do it, but a lot of 95% of the time, they do it because they love the job. They love helping people. They love going out there and making a difference. And when you take that away, not only do you lose the morale, you lose the experience with it. Because you have these people who have spent years on the job perfecting their, whether firefighting, medical, you know, um, that you lose because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you ever talk to people who are um, still working about how things are now, how how um, people like you leaving has affected the services left that that are still working? Um, it affects. It affects. It's not. You'll never have that same experience level. Um, while yes, you'll have people, anyone can be book smart, book smart. Um, not everyone can be hands-on smart. Um, you lose that hands-on experience. You lose um, sometimes care being given because of not that they're not the newer people aren't trying or the, you know, the people are just coming on. They're not trying, but you don't have that same street experience as someone who's had seven, 10, 15, 20 plus years on the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where do you put your um, hope? I don't know if you have hope for um, policies to change, but are you, uh, you know, there are legal actions going on. There's the protest movement. There are now some uh, political candidates who are opposed to mandates. Uh, a lot of people are supporting Lee Zeldin um, because he's come out against mandates, um, <clears throat> you know, for, for governor of New York. Do you, what kind of avenue of addressing your concerns uh, or the, also the unions, right? Um, people have had very 
um, I've heard a lot of criticism of, of the unions and their, you know, in some cases, failure to support um, people who are opposed to the mandates. But but what what avenue of addressing your situation and the mandates do you put your hope in? Um, I hope it it you know it's it shows people that you know everyone has a choice out there. You shouldn't be forced into something. Um, my avenue is I mean a lot of people now after so much time, even with the lawsuits and let's say get their jobs back, are they gonna have the same feeling of the job going back? Um, are they gonna have the same love for the job? That, I mean, that, that has to be seen. Um, but, you know, there's always the, the, the peaceful process to get your message across to show, you know, support for something you believe in um you know it it does change for other people it could stop other people from who don't want the the man the the vaccine or the mandates that you know for someone who does want but needs it because they have to support their family you know but they have no other choice to take. Mm-hmm. But do you do you have some kind of expectation that the mandates will be overturned, ended, um, changed? I mean, only time will tell. Um, hopefully, I know. I believe it's in D.C. The one of the courts overruled down there that the um, with the police officer union that the mayor's order for the mandate was uh, unlawful. Well, hopefully that'll help us too. Um, but with anything, especially with the courts, it's time-based and it's doesn't move quickly. And of course it gets appealed and appealed and it could drag on for years. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, all you could do is sit there, sit back, pray and hope for the best outcome and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you have your eye on the legal cases as being possibly the, the thing that would change things. Ho- hopefully. Um, a lot of people I think are open their eyes more with the mandates about um, bringing more, I don't wanna say knowledge, but more light to what, that, what everything's going on. Um, but, you know, hope, all we can do is hope with these legal, legal actions. You're in New Jersey. So do you, do you have a sense of, uh, whether people out there are even aware of New York's mandates? Cause I know that the awareness is not always, even in, in the city, a lot of people aren't aware. <laughs> um, some people are, some people aren't. Some people, um, you know, friends and friends of mine have are shocked that I got fired after all my time on the job for mm-hmm. the mandates. Um, 
there's some people are, there's some people aren't. It's 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 a mixture. Hmm. What have I not asked you about <laughs> that's important to talk about? <laughs> um I don't know. <laughs> we went over so much stuff. Um I'm I'm just hoping, you know, everyone everyone who was unjustly treated by this situation um, gets something that they deserve out. Even, even the people who, who, you know, who had to take the vaccine, some of them have um, had issues. Um, you know, it's, it's sad that some people, let's say, you were forced to take it and then you got, you had a reaction to it. Um, but it's just, it, we all need to, um, gotta come together and just be like, what's, what's, you know, what are they gonna do next? Like, what, what are they gonna take away from you? You know, what are they gonna say next? Like when they had this this monkeypox thing, you know, no one knows, but it's it's you get a, you get a taste of control by instilling fear in the population, and then you keep trying to add and run with it because without that control, without that fear, you lose control. Without the control. They, they they have no grasp of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it seems to me like right now you're kind of in a in flux. <laughs> you you were terminated <laughs> relatively recently, so you haven't and you're not sure about your certification and you're trying to figure out what you can do next, right? Right. Yeah. So it's not so like you you don't even know yet <laughs> what you're gonna pretty do. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm still trying to do everything. I mean it's almost like you get stir crazy from sitting in the house not doing anything. And like I said, I've worked my whole since 15, so I've never not known not working. Um the same aspect where it's taken a lot away from my life too, because now my wife has to double work to try and make up anything. Mm -hmm. And where either I could work and then she would be home. It's like now all the positions have switched and mm -hmm. it's hard. It's, I think, I think it's harder. I mean, it's hard on me. But she's made the most sacrifice more than I have because she stepped up and actually, you know, I know it's rough with us because we'll be gone sometimes for a couple of days at a time, whatever. And especially with, you know, my young daughter, with her working all the time, it, it takes time out of our lives. It really does. Right. She sees the kids less and yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> so I guess, um, I guess I'd be, I'd be interested to see, you know, where, where things go for you. Um, I don't know if you, if you're still really holding out hope for things to change and, you know, that you would get your job back, or if you're kind of just like looking at what to move on to next. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to hear, uh, where you end up with this. Did you, did you, um, what happened with your, like benefits, your retirement, all that kind of stuff, because you had a lot of time in, it was 20, how many years exactly? Uh, 20 and change. Okay. <laughs> 20, 20 uh, change. I, I, I can't, I can't take my retirement. I don't think I can start taking my retirement until I'm 55, I believe. Mm -hmm. But now my retirement's going to be short too, because I had to take a pension loan to help pay for something for my mother. So I have a, I have a big pension loan out there. So now that retirement I had is almost like cut in half because I owe money on my pension loan and they would just take that out of my normal check. But if I can't make the payments, then it's like, you know, that's just, eaten pretty much away and the pension is also lower than it would have been if you had worked correct full, yeah yeah okay well um i hope you'll you'll come back and and let everyone know how this all works out um I'm hoping for the best. that's all i can do <laughs> yeah i mean whether 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 we get our jobs back, whether um, we get settlements, wh whatever, whatever happens, I'm just all, all you can hope. You can only hope for the best. You can only hope for positivity, because if you start just bringing negativity, it's just going to make it worse. So hope for the best, and, you know, move forward. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about everything that has happened over the past couple of years um, <laughs> and what you're thinking about moving forward into. Um, and uh, like I said, I, ho I hope you'll give us an update down the line on how this all turns out for you. I definitely will.